0: we <laughs>
2: Welcome into the National Football Show, everybody. My name's Mark Farzetta. That's Bill Calarulo. And uh, you may notice we're neither one of us are uh, Dancilio. But I guess uh, they just decided to jake media, Bill. Just uh, whoever has a ballot in their last name, if they could just talk <laughs> football for a couple hours, that would be most appreciated. What's going on, Bill? Oh,
3: 10 days Farzi. 10 more days and we are there my friend
2: <laughs> I can't I, I I can't wait I was filling in for our friend John McMullen on birds 365 uh, earlier in the week and Jody McDonald asked me the question he might have asked you a similar question this week as well about the Eagles kind of uh, limping out of the gate the Eagles being in this position where they're kind of going to be ready for this Super Bowl hangover and it's going to kind of linger and they're not going to jump out against the Patriots and they're honoring Tom Brady up there in opening week and the the Eagles might have their struggles. I just don't see it. I, I, I just don't see it. I know we're going to get into plenty of Eagles storylines as the show goes on today. We're doing two hours with you today, folks. We got plenty of national stories. We got our AFC predictions uh, throughout all the divisions. We got uh, also the MVP prediction, Offensive Player of the Year, Defensive Player of the Year. We're going to cover the whole gambit when it comes to the NFL, as this is, of course, the national football show. But, Bill, just right out of the gate, are you anticipating... Any sort of Super Bowl hangover when it comes to the Philadelphia Eagles, sir? I'm
3: not. I mean, the problem is, is if you look at the history of the NFL, they would tell us, yeah, you should be worried about a Super Bowl hangover. But I'm not looking at the numbers. I'm just looking at this team. And with the veteran leadership that this team has with Brandon Graham and Jason Kelsey and Lane Johnson, Fletcher Cox, and then Jalen Hurts. I know he's not a veteran, but the guy carries himself like he is. It's hard to believe that this team is going to come out with any sort of Super Bowl hangover. I mean, it's you, the schedule is set up the right way for this team. I know it's a tough schedule, but the first eight games of the year are all winnable football games. So they need to take advantage of it. They can't afford to have a Super Bowl hangover. This isn't a team that can come out to a slow start and hope to win a ton of games late with the way the schedule lines up. But I'm confident, I think this team, veteran leadership, good coaching, is going to come out and not have the Super Bowl hangover.
2: Yeah, and the other thing that's going against them is the idea that no team has won back-to-back NFC East titles, let alone you know, the Super Bowl. They haven't even won NFC East titles back-to-back you know, since 2003, 2004, I believe it is, with the Eagles doing that you know, 20-some years ago. So you look at this squad as it stands right now, and I think you hit the nail right on the head there, and it's the number one reason why I believe in this team this year. I mean, other than the fact that they're talented, and other than the fact that I believe they also have depth, especially on the offensive side of the football. But bottom line is the veteran leadership of this team, like last year there was just so much talk surrounding this team. And they were, t- they were referring to it, whether it was Jalen Hurts, or it was Jason Kelsey, talking about rat poison. You can't read and believe the stuff that's in the media right now. You can't listen to the experts and say how great that team is. They also can't do the other thing, which is buy into the idea that they are that good and they can't get comfortable. And Jason Kelsey last year around this time did this beautiful soliloquy about how this team just can't get comfortable. If you start listening to that, that is when you start to fall apart. But I believe that core four of the veterans that have been around here forever and Jalen Hurts who as you said carries himself as as if he's already a 10-year veteran in the NFL, I think that is going to be almost their uh, their protective shield when protecting against the rat poison or being comfort or comforted or other people hyping them up too much. And one more thing on that, the thing that I find so interesting is that these veterans, these guys that have been on the team for 10-plus years, these guys like Fletcher Cox and Jason Kelsey and Lane Johnson, these guys, they all listen to Jalen Hurts, and they've been doing it really ever since his first year as a starter in the NFL. So that, to me, shows you that he is, without question, wise beyond his years. It's not just that he's got Anita Baker, you know, on his uh, on his uh, you know playlist. It's the fact that these veterans listen to him and take their cues from him. First man in, last man out. And that, to me, shows a lot more than just a 25-year-old uh, leader of this football team.
3: Definitely. And, you know, one of the question marks on this team is there are some new position players. But in some respects, that could actually help this team when you're talking about the Super Bowl hangover because you're going to have guys who – They weren't part of that Super Bowl team last year. You have Jalen Carter, you have Nolan Smith, and you got a couple of new guys that you brought in. Zach Cunningham's going to be your starting linebacker. So this should help that team because these guys weren't a part of that team last year. And you talk about coming from Georgia. These guys are proven winners. So I don't think they're going to come in here with any sort of expectation that this is going to be easy. They know how to work coming from that Georgia football program. But, Mark, it is crazy, though, when you look at these numbers. Now, I'm, everything I said about how I'm not worried about the Super Bowl hangover, you look at this, these numbers, and it is just wild when it comes to the history in the NFL. Like you mentioned earlier, there hasn't been a repeat winner in 20 years in the NFC East. No NFC team. Has gone back to the Super Bowl after losing in 50 years since the 1974 Minnesota Vikings. And then you throw on top of it, the Eagles have the hardest strength of schedule. They have 10 games against 2022 playoff teams. And only two teams since 1994 have lost both coordinators after appearing in a Super Bowl the 04 Patriots and the 1994 San Francisco 49ers. So you throw all that in, and we're crazy to say, there's not going to be a Super Bowl hangover, but I'm still saying there's not going to be a Super Bowl hangover with this team.
2: Look, in the last 50 years, I know other teams have had great leadership, and I know in the last 20 years, there's been great leadership in the NFC East, and there's been other teams that are supposed to do more than what the Eagles could possibly do. But I just find this to be such a different case. When you talk about all the leaders, you talk about all the talent, you talk about the depth, And you talk about that kind of next man up mentality that this team has really embraced over the last six years and no better example than when they had the most men step up next than that 2017 Super Bowl season. And what I always say about that season in particular from that season on, I look at this team and if I am digging to the depth chart of like third stringers and I'm worried about, let's say, a long snapper or I'm worried about a punter. Like in this case, I would say that your team is pretty set and your team is going to be pretty good. And that's what this Eagles team has. The other part of it is that a guy like Jalen Hurts is just getting started. And how many teams in the NFL can say, not many, I mean the Bengals obviously, but not many teams can say that they have the weapons for their quarterback the way the Eagles have weapons for Jalen Hurts. So you're talking about A.J. Brown, you're talking about both you know, swole and skinny Batman, Devontae Smith. You're talking about a complete stable of running backs. Like, Look, Rashad Penny, the, the biggest thing on him is just stay healthy. We got to keep saying stay healthy about Rashad Penny. But if he does stay healthy, if the Eagles with this deep running back room can keep him healthy, and you have DeAndre Swift catching passes, you have Kenny Gainwell running the ball, then you have Rashad Penny as the in-case-of-emergency-break-glass type of running back, this offense is complete. Now, defense, I do have my concerns. You have the numbers right there, just overall history, but let's talk about the personnel of this Eagles team because we're not looking at this with, you know, rose-colored glasses. We're not looking at this like it's some kind of Disney script. There are some uh, blemishes, On this defense, and when I talk about the linebacker position, as much as I might be confident in N'Kobe Dean, we haven't seen it yet. Zach Cunningham was available for a reason, and now all of a sudden, he's your starter. You blink and he's your starter. The guy you brought in, Nicholas Morrow, isn't even on your squad anymore, and he was thought going to training camp to be the number one guy next to Nicobe Dean, if not taking the middle linebacker job from N'Kobe Dean. Safety position is still a question. You got a defensive uh, uh, coordinator that is just going about this for the second time in his career, although he's got the stamp of approval from Vic Fangio and also Pete Carroll. But what is he going to be like as a defensive coordinator and play caller for this team? The MO on him is Jonathan Gannon 2.0, except he's he's actually shaking hands with Vic Fangio, you know. So for me, it's not just about the veteran leadership, it's not just about the talent on this team when you start to really delve into it you start to think more about some of the blemishes that are with this team. And I don't know about you, but my concerns with this team exist exist far more on the defense than they do the offense.
3: Absolutely. You just look at the offense. They're returning everybody with the exception of Isaac Siamala. So you know that they're going to be okay on that side of the ball. The one question mark is how is Brian Johnson going to be as a play caller, but he was here last year. This is really a Nick Sirianni Jalen hurts offense, but, You're exactly right. There are a lot of question marks on that defense. I was not happy when they let TJ Edwards walk. I've been saying it all summer. I did not like that they let him walk. I was okay with Kazeer White. He had an up and down year, but TJ Edwards was not only your leader on that defense. He played over 94% of the snaps. He was the leader in tackles, top seven in the NFL in tackles, and he just played a very solid brand of football on that side of the ball. And they're putting everything on the shoulders of a guy who's played 34 career snaps in the NFL. We're all hopeful that Kobe Dean's going to be the guy he was at Georgia. So am I. But no one knows how he's going to hold up for a 17-game NFL season. We've never seen it done before. And the guy that they did sign almost immediately in free agency, Nick Morrow, isn't even here anymore. So that's a big, big concern is you let T.J. Edwards walk. You sign Nick Morrow. And now that guy's not even here. And the starter on this team, they signed, what, three weeks ago in in Zach Cunningham? So a lot of times you got to look at their actions, not what they say. And their actions were they weren't confident with the linebacker crew either. They signed both Zach Cunningham and Miles Jack at the same time. And now Miles Jack's retired. Nick Morrow, the free agent you signed, he's not on the team. Big question mark. But there's a big but here. That defensive line is going to be so damn good, Mark, that it may not matter who's back there at that linebacker position. When you have defensive tackles like Fletcher Cox, Milton Williams, Jalen Carter, Jordan Davis, a healthy year from Jordan Davis. I don't think he was fully healthy last year. You have a lower leg injury and you're that big. It's going to affect you all season long. But you look at those four D tackles that they have there and some under-the-radar guys that made this roster, Cantavius Street. Not a bad defensive tackle, played last year with the New Orleans Saints, played with the 49ers before that, has the ability to stop the run, can generate interior pressure, and you still have Marlon Tupelotu as your backup nose tackle. Just a very deep position group, and we didn't even talk about the edge rushers. I mean, you throw the edge rushers on top, those linebackers should be able to have a lot of success with the amount of talent the Eagles have with those front four.
2: Certainly. And I'm glad you touched on the defensive line because as we continue to unpack storylines surrounding the Eagles going into this season, I think one of the best storylines out there is how good is Jalen Carter really going to be? I mean, last year in the preseason against the Jets, you saw a guy like Jordan Davis blow up the line of scrimmage and blow up the offensive line. And it was like, all right, got what I needed out of that preseason game. Now we can move on to the next one. Uh, Jalen Carter did not disappoint in his first preseason game. His Per first professional snap against the Baltimore Ravens, busting through the uh, the offensive line to get into the backfield for at least a uh, quarterback hit there. But when you really do think about it, with Jalen Carter, and you listen to what Fletcher Cox has said about him, you listen. You listen to what "Baby Rhino" is the new nickname for Jalen Carter. Uh, Brandon Graham championing that nickname as well. I, I mean, you talk about being overly optimistic about anybody. I mean, again, I, I'll say it. I, I am optimistic about Kobe Dean. I am optimistic about uh, Nolan Smith. But the amount of optimism I have for a guy like Jalen Carter is miles above anyone else to the point where I got to almost slow myself down a little bit here. And we were talking to our friend who hosts this very show, the National Football Show, uh, Dan Cilio, about Jalen Carter. And he uttered the name Jerome Brown and talked yes, about his did. footwork. He talked about his speed. He talked about his strength. And um, those two know each other. Those two knew each other rather well there with the Miami ties there, Cilio and uh, Jerome Brown. So if that's the way you're going to set the bar, if that's how high you're going to set it, then I guess I am uh, a little subdued in my take of Jalen Carter, thinking that there's no way it could possibly be that good. But, man, if you combine the speed that Lane Johnson has talked about, you talk about the strength that Dallas Goddard has talked about from Jalen Carter – then this defensive line isn't just you know trying to fill the void of J uh, you know Javon Hargrave, especially with his sack count from last year, but they have surpassed it as far as a guy that could have talent level much higher than what Javon Hargrave was able to provide, even as a veteran. This rookie is it really that reasonable? Is it that plausible to think that the Eagles have surpassed that level of talent with Jalen Carter already? As fans, as analysts,
3: we always get ahead of ourselves. We always get carried away, right? But you look at the veterans on this Philadelphia Eagles team and how much they are throwing praise upon Jalen Carter. They usually like to keep these rookies humble. They're not trying to keep this guy (laughs) humble because they're also in awe of what they are seeing. So that's why I think we are being a little bit subdued, only because you look at what veteran guys on this team are saying about him and – if you're not excited, uh, you're under a rock because every single person who has seen this kid play in the preseason in training camp is saying, watch out. So I think there's some people in the comments saying – Defensive Rookie of the Year, we're going to get to that in a second, but a little uh, teaser here, that may be my pick for Defensive Rookie of the Year.
2: (laughs) Could very well be. Now, of course, when you talk about Defensive Player of the Year, people like the sexy numbers, right? People like the sack totals, people like tackles for loss and all that stuff. And don't get me wrong, I I think a guy like Jalen Carter can certainly do it, but there's going to be another first-round defensive pick playing right behind him or really to the right or left of him in, in, of course, Jordan Davis. So I'm looking at what a guy – like Jordan Davis could possibly, excuse me, Nolan Smith, Nolan Smith, excuse me. Um, Nolan Smith, what he could bring to the table. Jordan Davis also
3: a number one pick, just not this year.
2: Yeah, just not this year, just not this year, a year ago. But uh, so many guys from from Georgia, just, they're all jumbled in my head. Um, But looking at a guy like that, and what Nolan Smith could bring to the table here, you talk about the big splash numbers, talk about the big splash plays. You talk about his mentality of, you have to be hungry enough to eat off the floor. Now, have you ever been hungry to eat off the floor, hungry enough to eat off the floor? Like, that tells you a lot. And sometimes people say, and I know Bill, you and I have had this conversation like, who really cares what they have to say? It's about how they play. And absolutely. But if you could get a little hint to their mindset and their approach to the game, that's all I want to hear from a young player. Is that they haven't done anything? They had success in college. Now all that means nothing. they good for them being a first-round pick. It means nothing. And when they step on the field, they have to prove their worth. And A guy like Tom Brady talks about it all the time. If you get an opportunity to be on the field, you prove that you're worthy of being on the field and you can be the best player on the field. Nolan Smith's going to get that opportunity. Obviously, Jalen Carter's going to get it. But the Eagles, I I would not be surprised if they have both these guys' names, Defensive Rookie of the Year, being uttered in the same sentence as Defensive Rookie of the Year when they're talking about candidates at the end of the season. Because I think you have a guy like Nolan Smith that's going to have the splash plays, he's going to have the sexy plays and the sacks and all that stuff. But a guy like Jalen Carter overall could be holding down the fort on the interior of that defensive line, making things a lot easier for Nola Smith to get off the edge and Hassan Reddick and Brandon Graham and Josh Sweat at the same time.
3: Yeah, I don't know what you do as a opposing offensive coordinator. How do you stop this defensive line? Where do you put your resources? Do you try to stop Hassan Reddick coming off the edge? Do you try to stop that interior pressure? And there's another guy on that defensive line that I think may have a huge year And that's Josh Sweat. We've seen Josh Sweat get better every single season in the NFL. He's increased his sack total and you just see it. His athleticism, how low he gets to the ground when he comes around the edge. I'm expecting a big season from him as well. So you just look at that defensive line. The only thing that may hurt these players from being in the defensive player of the year conversation or defensive rookie of the year is they're going to be so damn good that the stats are hopefully going to just be split amongst all of them because I think they're all going to put pressure
2: on the quarterback like they did last season. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And the other thing is, you know, who knows? Maybe they'll have another 70-sack season. Maybe they'll go for 75 this year. Maybe they'll they'll really spread the love when it comes to the sacks this upcoming season. Uh, that's what I'll cross my fingers for at least. But you mentioned Josh Sweat, and one of the things that I always think about is when Chris Long was here uh, in the Super Bowl year and the year following and all that, the the number one guy, when I had an opportunity to talk to Chris Long, that he was most excited about to really have a breakout season and two seasons here, it was Josh Sweat. He said, you just got to watch what this guy can do. He's still coming back from the injury. It's going to take time for him to come back from the injury. Now being three, four years removed from it, now being in a in a defensive line that, of course, has that push up the middle as they had last year with Javon Hargrave, uh, with a splash of Milton Williams, with a little of Namak Sue, uh, as well as Linval Joseph and Fletcher Cox. Now you're going to have that interior as well, maybe even better than what you had last year. Now you could have two guys coming off the edge that can get into that backfield and really make some big plays for this football team. So when people say, you know, 70 sacks, is not going to happen again, I'm like, yeah, conventional wisdom says it wouldn't happen again, but this, de- this defense might be more talented than what they were last year. And the other part of it is, if you get off the defensive line for a second and you go to the linebackers, I know it's a big question mark. But if you were going to be a sl- just a little bit more aggressive as a defensive play caller, if you're Sean Desai, you were going to be a little bit more aggressive, wouldn't you be a little bit more aggressive at the linebacker position? Because as much as I think T.J. Edwards was a very good linebacker for this team, and if I was you, I'm, or Bill, I'm with you, you're talking about him possibly staying around another year and not signing elsewhere for, what, three years, $18 million to sign with the Bears? That's a, that's a good contract for him. The Eagles weren't going to pay that. But if he did stay here, I'd be fine with it. But with the Kobe Dean being here, you weren't gonna send TJ Edwards to the backfield to blitz. You could send a Kobe Dean in the backfield to blitz. He's got the instincts, he's got the speed, he's got the quickness, he's got the agility. If you're Sean Desai and you're looking at one position, you might be able to be a little bit more aggressive with more so than Jonathan Gannon. It's the middle linebacker position because that's exactly what that's exactly what it got a guy like uh Nicobe Dean even mentioned as possibly being a late first round or even a second round pick going into his draft. So You have a guy that can make those big plays for you defensively, and you didn't necessarily have that last year with T.J. Edwards, especially when it came to getting into the backfield.
3: Yeah, T.J. Edwards was a solid player, very solid player, but I don't think the upside was there that you have potentially with N'Kobe Dean. If N'Kobe Dean is the guy we saw at Georgia who was just dominating the SEC, then, yeah, this defense has the potential to be really, really scary. I don't want to say he's going to be dominating. We haven't seen it yet, but there's that potential there, and the ceiling is very, very high for him. So you are right. Sean Desai can have some fun, hopefully, with this defense. And another guy, not to get you too excited, Farsi. I know how much he loves <laughs> Sidney Brown, but if Sidney Brown starts working his way into this defense and they start running some safety blitz with that guy, man, that could be a lot of fun to watch.
2: I I know we we got a minute here, but uh, we'll get into uh, the safety position here because it's Terrell Edmonds, it's Justin Evans, it's uh, uh, Sidney Brown, obviously Reed Blankenship, Kayvon Wallace is out. He's linked back up with uh, Jonathan Gannon. So we'll get to the conversation. We've talked linebackers, we've talked defensive line, we talked a little of the offense there, but we haven't talked about the safety position yet coming up on the Philadelphia Eagles. Now, what we will get into in a little bit here uh, is our defensive player of the year, Defensive rookie of the year, offensive player of the year, offensive rookie of the year, overall MVP, comeback player of the year, and potentially even coach of the year. We could get into all that. Now the NFL, I don't know if you saw this, but NFL.com bill put out their stories when it came and their predictions when it came to across the league who's going to come away with the hardware. This season, not just the Lombardi trophy, but the individual awards as well. We'll be getting to that on the show today. We'll also be getting into uh some of the biggest concerns surrounding the Philadelphia Eagles, who's the biggest threat to the Philadelphia Eagles, not just in the NFC East, but in the entire NFC and what it does mean for this football team to even have a shot to get back to a Super Bowl. We'll talk about all that and more as uh Bill Calarulo and myself, Mark Farzetta are filling in for Dan Celio here on the national football show. Sales has the day off. We'll be back to you, back with you in a few. We think. I think. I promise you. (laughs) Other than that, we'll be back. Tone.
0: All right, did you know it was the mommy slam dunk champion? Really? <laughs> yes, really. Don't sound so surprised. Let's see it. Oh, you're ready. All right, here we go. Let's hear the crowd. So go to, to the mama. mama, go up, oh, Mama! She did it.
4: Again?
3: You can't avoid gravity, but United Healthcare can help you avoid financial surprises by helping you compare costs and doctor quality ratings. United
1: Healthcare.
4: Uh
1: huh. EAGLES Eagles
2: Welcome back National Football Show. Mark Flores Bill Coloruolo joining you in for Dan Cilio as the day off getting the weekend started early. You, you got a, you got anything coming up Bill for the for the holiday weekend? You doing anything special? Anything fun anything good? Just hanging at the club. I
3: got I'm probably going to get a little golf in, take oh. the kids to take the kids to the pool. Nothing too
2: big. I think you got a big plans this weekend, don't you? <laughs> that that club. When you said the club, I'm like, damn, man. How I know you got young <laughs> yeah, the ones. Gobble, how long? The no, okay. Right. Yeah, just a little, you know, disco tech. Um no, <laughs> I, I got anymore. big more. <laughs> I got uh going away, uh hitting up Virginia, going on a little fishing trip, but uh mostly my uh, my my wife's family all getting together. Uh, I am making brajol. I'm making uh, a lot of brajol in the gravy, in the sauce, right? All that stuff. Um, my mother-in-law is doing some kind of um, vegetarian lasagna. So I was like, oh, vegetarian. Let me ruin that idea. <laughs> uh, so I'm, literally, I got the brajol. I made the mix and everything for the meatballs. I boiled my eggs already. I got the, uh, the gravy on the pot right now on the stove as we speak. Smell it in the house. Nothing like it, man nothing nice. like it but uh, yeah i'm making about 30 brajol. we do the small brajol in the family we do the like individual portion brajol. we don't do like the big flank steak wrapped and then sliced yeah. you know what i mean that's how my grandma does it real big yeah oh, oh, okay yeah yeah i yeah. gotta let that gotta let that soak in the gravy for you know hours and hours on end man all day yeah. but it's a full day as you know it's a full day can i uh i need to confess something to you bill i need to confess something to you I um, might be president of the Justin Herbert hate club. (laughs) And I know we're going to get into our predictions. And I don't know if you saw these predictions on uh, NFL.com, but they asked their experts MVP honors throughout the league. Okay. As you would assume, who do you think is the number one guy? Would it be Patrick Mahomes? That would be the one uh, Patrick Mahomes. Okay. Uh, Number two on this list. Would be Mr. Joe Burrow. If he's not, healthy, he's, not, he's he not, not even he may not even play in week one. But you know, you know, here's what I want to know. Does it help you to not that you could ever plan this, but does it help you to get injured early? Because, like, if for your case, like if you come back from your injury and in say week two, okay, or week three, and then you roll through the rest of the season, you can rack up the MVP votes, right? But if you're Jalen Hurts. Or your Carson Wentz, i.e., twenty seventeen, you get hurt late in the season, you miss time. Then I guess you don't get as many votes. I guess people—it's the recency bias of the MVP voting. I guess.
3: Yeah, it's just like the uh, NCAA football, right? You can't—you could can lose a game early. You can't lose a game late and still right. make it to the top four. But perfect analogy. Yeah, but yeah, I agree with you. But Justin Herbert, I don't share the same hate that you do. I think he's a very good quarterback, and I think he wins in spite of his head coach. I am not a fan of Staley as a head coach. I've seen him make some really bad decisions on both clock management, offensive play calling. And I think Herbert is winning in spite of him, but I think I know where you're going with this, that they have him ranked higher than Jalen hurts to be able to win the MVP. And that I would disagree with.
2: Mm -hmm. Okay. I don't think that Justin Herbert is terrible. All right, let me just make this clear. I don't think that he's terrible, but I just, it's like people talk about the MVP and they got him above Jalen Hurts in this instance. They have him right behind Joe Burrow. Like, I understand it's not the, the the best possible scenario for any young quarterback being out there in Los Angeles with the Chargers, but I just don't get what people love about Justin Herbert. And I don't get why people love talking about him like a top five quarterback, top three in potential MVP voting. Now for the for the record, They have Justin Herbert just ahead of Jalen Hurts. They're both tied for three when it came to their votes from their NFL experts. 14 votes in total went to uh, Patrick Mahomes. Six went to Joe Burrow. Four votes went to Justin Herbert and Jalen Hurts. But Justin Herbert got the tip of the cap with a plus plus 50 um, uh, over under there. And then Jalen Hurts got plus 900. Excuse me, odds, plus 900. I just don't get how Jalen Hurts even compares in anyone's mind or anyone's voting when it comes to the potential of being the NFL MVP, being on the same level of Justin Herbert doesn't make any damn sense to me whatsoever.
3: You're preaching to the choir here, Farzee. I mean, I've I think that Jalen Hurts should be number two behind Mahomes. I'm not saying he should be number one in light of the season that Mahomes did have last year. But you look at that performance in the Super Bowl, what Jalen Hurts did in the biggest game of the year Was historic. The stat line that he put up has never been done in NFL history when you look at his passing yards, his rushing yards, his rushing touchdowns, no interceptions. I know the haters want to say that big fumble. I would have felt that that fumble was more his fault if he had gotten hit and fumbled the ball. The fact that it kind of just slips out of his hand was just so fluky. But Mm. you look at it, and this is why I think the Eagles won't have a Super Bowl hangover when we talk about Jalen Hurts. What did Jalen Hurts do after that horrible fumble in the Super Bowl that led to six points the other way? He takes the team right down the field on a long drive and scores a touchdown. This guy has the ability to overcome adversity, and yeah, Jalen Hurts has to be the number two going into the season in the MVP odds, in my opinion.
2: Now here's what's interesting. Josh Allen and Aaron Rodgers tied for the fifth most votes in the uh, from the NFL.com when voting on the MVP award here. So Josh Allen's been knocked down a couple of pegs. But somehow Justin Herbert has taken over that spot of being the controversial number two or number three guy on this list. So that's that's just odd to me. I, so I don't understand why he gets so much love and respect nationally. I, I just don't see and this is coming from a place of like I don't okay, I say I hate the guy, but like I don't hate the guy, okay but I I don't get the love and admiration that like what has he done in the league? to warrant so much admiration from around the the NFL when it comes to the quote-unquote experts, the national experts voting on something like this, and especially taking over a spot from a guy like Jalen Hurts, who should be – it should be one Patrick Mahomes, should be two Jalen Hurts, and then even after that, if you want to go with uh, Josh Allen still, and you want to go with Aaron Rodgers possibly being in New York now, change of scenery for Aaron Rodgers, and then Justin Herbert cracks in to the top three conversation just doesn't make any damn sense to me whatsoever. Yeah. And
3: the biggest stat that people should look at when you're looking at a quarterback is they want to look at passing yards and interceptions and touchdowns, but the biggest stat should be wins and losses. And you look at Jalen Hurts, wins and losses. He's 23 and 11 in his career. And seven of those losses came in 21. (laughs) But you look at Justin Herbert, the guy's only 25 and 24 in the NFL. So I see what you're saying. You look at wins, but what I said earlier is I do think that it's very tough with a head coach like Staley, and I think he's lost him some games, but I think that the people that love Justin Herbert, because they're looking at the passing yards, there's no doubt. The guy threw for 5,000 passing yards in 2021, threw for another 4,700 passing yards in 2022, and he has a pretty good touchdown to interception ratio as well. So I think that's what they are looking at. But when you look at Jalen Hurts, you really have to factor it all in. The, the rushing yards, the wins, the losses, the leadership. And that's what I think when you talk about most valuable player. We're not talking about best throwing quarterback in the NFL. You're talking about <laughs> the most valuable player to their team. And we, you can't put Justin Herbert above Hurts. Okay, but, all right. but look at one of the guys, Farza. you got to look at one of the guys that voted for Herbert. It's Mike Florio. He
2: can't go, he can't go against his boy Chris Sims.
0: <laughs> right, he's got to make him
2: <laughs> look good. Absolutely. He's got to make him look good. But uh to stay on this topic, when it comes to the MVP and it comes to Jalen Hurts, what do you really need to see? The question I've enjoyed this offseason, like last year it was the very generic, probably every sports talker's favorite conversation asking a question about whether or not a young quarterback in your city is the quote unquote Guy Is he the guy, right? Well, Jalen Hurts answered that question with an exclamation, yes, exclamation point, okay? But when we talk about MVP and we talk about being the best quarterback in the league and not being the runner-up or even winning a Super Bowl, whatever it might be, what is it that Jalen Hurts needs to do to get it? And that's the question I have kicked around for the last six months. What does he have to do to get more respect, whether it's on a, a Chris Sims list, whether it's on an NFL.com MVP voting list or whatever it might be, what does he really need to do? Like specifically, what does he need to do? And there's, there's two things that really jumped out to me about what he needs to do. And you tell me if you're on the same wavelength as I am. Number one, he's got to do it again. He, he can't just one year. Okay, Carson Wentz is the perfect example of this. Now, I do not believe that Jalen Hurts is Carson Wentz. I believe Jalen Hurts will have a much better career than Carson Wentz. And as it's, time has gone on, it looks like that's not going to be as, nearly as high as a bar to get to anyway. He already has it, in my opinion, in the rear of your mirror. But as far as one great year as a starting quarterback in the NFL, he's got one great year. He's an MVP candidate, blah, blah, blah. So do it again and keep on doing it. Prove to everyone that wasn't some flash in the pan. After that, even more specifically, and I hate that this is what it's got to be because I think it takes away from his uh, the uniqueness of his game. And he, of course, even said throughout training camp, I want to embrace the uniqueness of my game. But those passing yards got to go up. It's looked down upon, unless you're Lamar Jackson – It's looked down upon, for the most part, if you're running the football as much as he is. If you're not throwing for touchdowns, if you're not throwing for yards, it's like the national pundits look at it and go, oh, well, he's supposed to throw the ball. He's not supposed to run the ball. And I think even a little bit of throwing to the running backs, not even necessarily downfield as much, but dump-offs, check-downs, whatever it might be. If he does that maybe even a quarter more than he did last year, then you're going to see those numbers skyrocket, and you're going to see the national people looking go, oh, look who's throwing the football now. And I hate to say it, but I think that's what they're looking at. So it comes to being as good as he was last year and then upping those passing numbers. And I think that's what will catch the national media's attention to really put this guy as the MVP of the league.
3: Yeah, I don't disagree with you. I think another important factor, and we touched, touched on it a little earlier, is he's got to play a 17-game season. Sure, You can't afford to get hurt at the end of the year again. That's always going to kill you in the MVP race. But, you know, one of the things that a lot of these national experts, quote-unquote, they obviously did not watch a lot of the Philadelphia Eagles games. And I don't want people to think that I'm just a Jalen Hurts defender. I am a big (laughs) fan of his. I think he's a very good quarterback. But I think if you look at the way the Philadelphia Eagles games went last season, There's a reason why Jalen Hurts didn't throw for more yardage. They didn't have to throw for more yardage. There were so many games in that regular season where it was over by midway through the third quarter, and when you have a dominant run game like the Eagles did, they would have been crazy to keep throwing the football. So there were a lot of games where third, fourth quarter, we were leaning on the run to just keep dominating the line of scrimmage, run the clock, and That does hurt him. You're right. The fact that he doesn't have those big, big passing yardage. But we saw it in the Super Bowl. The guy's capable of doing it. He threw for over 300 yards in the Super Bowl.
2: Mm -hmm. Certainly. And by the way, I know there's some people that look at Patrick Mahomes and they say, oh, if Jalen Hurts would have stayed healthy, he would have been the MVP. I think what it would have come down to is that The Eagles got Jalen Hurts, A.J. Brown in the offseason, and they added him with Devontae Devontae Adams, or Devontae Smith, excuse me, and they they obviously had a great 1,000-yard rusher in Miles Sanders. He had a great year behind a great offensive line. The overall selling point to make Patrick Mahomes the MVP last year, not just talking about games missed by Jalen Hurts, but Patrick Mahomes, is the fact that he lost his best wide receiver in the offseason, and he still put forth an MVP season and still had an incredible year with the Kansas City Chiefs. So I think that's why, if it came down to it, Jalen Hurts stays healthy last year, Patrick Mahomes plays the way he did last year, I still think that Patrick Mahomes would end up getting the MVP based on losing Tyreek Evans in the offseason.
3: Tyreek Hill. Tyreek Hill, Jeez. Yeah. excuse me. Thank you. Yes. Yeah, so, yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, not taking anything away from Patrick Mahomes, he does have the best tight end maybe in NFL history yeah. on his team. But what he was able to do – with that receiving core was really remarkable and that's sometimes the shot that people do take at Jalen Hurts is we'll look at all the talent around them but outside of Patrick Mahomes who really is on another level you look at the other quarterbacks they all have weapons you look at Joe Burrow he arguably has a better wide receiving core than the Eagles do arguably it's close but you look at Jamar Chase and T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd, that receiving core is unbelievable. So I don't like when Jalen Hurts is talked about negatively because he has weapons. All of these guys have weapons. Don't talk to me about Patrick Mahomes. He's maybe the greatest quarterback we've ever seen. So you can't compare these guys to Mahomes. But all these other quarterbacks have weapons. I mean, you look at Tua in Miami. Look at the wide receiving core he has. We were talking about Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddle. So a lot of these guys have weapons. And that's sometimes the Hurts haters love to talk about. And I thought all that would have been put to rest when you saw Gardner Minshew come in. And he couldn't reach the same level of success that Jalen Hurts did with that same offense. But
2: Mm -hmm. no, now I'm starting to think about the Eagles backup quarterback role and I'm starting to be concerned again about Marcus Mariota. I know we'll get into it again uh, when we talk about it again at the top of the hour about some some concerns we have uh, regarding the Philadelphia Eagles and that offense. And I did mention earlier that if you're digging to talk about the quarterback, the backup quarterback or backup roles or third string roles, then odds are you got a pretty damn good football team. So we'll get to that. But I want to move on to the next uh, possible award here. Offensive player of the year. According to NFL.com, uh, it's going to go to a rival in the NFC. It's a team, Bill, that a lot of people are looking at, especially the national pundits, will be the Eagles' greatest threat to getting back to the Super Bowl in the upcoming season. Can you take a wild guess as to who the offensive player of the year would be, according to NFL.com? Well, I'd
3: kind of be cheating because I have it up in front of me.
2: <laughs> you're a, You're a bastion <laughs> of honesty.
3: Thank you. Christian McCaffrey from the San Francisco 49ers is the number one vote getter for the NFL.com's Offensive Player of the Year going into the season. It's hard to disagree. It's hard to disagree. I mean, look, Offensive Player of the Year, there's a lot of candidates that could become Offensive Player of the Year. But when you look at what Christian McCaffrey is able to do in multiple aspects of of the offense not only can he run the ball but the guy catches just as many balls if not more than most wide receivers I mean I think the guy had 100 catches one year so you factor all that in with his rushing yards and his receiving yards you could see why a lot of people are pointing to him as maybe being the offensive player of the year
2: so here's the thing all running backs like I think this is like he's been at this 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 level for a long time But I think all running backs kind of need to go this route. And Darren Sproles did it for a long time, not at the level that Christian McCaffrey has done it, but Darren Sproles in terms of versatility. I mean, I think this is just the way the league is going. I mean, with the kind of – it's not even a revolt. If a guy like Saquon Barkley is saying, hold out, hold out, hold out, and then like, okay, I'm here, like with no holdout really, then you've kind of lost a lot of your – A competitive advantage, you lost a lot of your leverage. I mean, you know about leverage, and you you have situations now with Jonathan Taylor where it's like, Oh, yeah, go ahead, yeah, seek yourself a trade, see who's going to pay you. And it's nobody. I think if you're a young running back, you need to learn how to catch footballs, man. It's not just about running between the tackles anymore, it's not even about speed bouncing out to the outside. It's about playing. I think Debo Samuel called his position the wide back. Okay. I don't know if this is going to be a back wide situation with Christian McCaffrey and other running backs coming up through the ranks now, but you have to be able to be a pass catcher. And we even talk about it now with the Eagles and DeAndre Swift and Kenny Gainwell and having two guys that can catch passes. You're going to have to have that. It's not just the wear and tear on the body anymore of a running back you know, running the football through the offensive line and into the defensive line and then being met by a linebacker or a safety coming up with a full head of steam. It's about lining up a guy like he used to have in Darren Sproles and putting him in the slot. It's about a guy like DeAndre Swift, who Nick Sirianni has talked about, who has wide receiver. He doesn't have running back hands. He's got wide receiver hands. Every running back that's coming up through the ranks has to be more like Christian McCaffrey. And I know that that's a tall order. I'm not saying they have to be Christian McCaffrey. I'm saying they have to have the versatility of Christian McCaffrey to be lined up at the slot position. They need to be lined up as a wide receiver. And that's what has put this guy up there with Offensive Player of the Year votes uh, on NFL.com is that versatility. And now we're seeing it throughout this offseason more glaring than we ever have throughout the entire NFL where running backs have been belittled to a point of bargaining away their leverage. Go ahead, I double-dog dare you, Jonathan Taylor. Find someone's going to trade for you and pay you. Uh, Saquon Barkley, yeah, go ahead and hold out. See what kind of deal you can get. Miles Sanders going to the uh, Carolina Panthers, where the Eagles get, what, four running backs for the price of just Miles Sanders? If that doesn't devalue and belittle the position, I don't know what does. So when you have these young running backs coming up now, if they want to be offensive player of the year, if they don't want to just be labeled a running back and they want to be able to do everything else, they're going to have to work on that versatility, and that's something that I think the NFL is also going to embrace as time goes on because you see it a lot more in college with guys catching passes and not just running the football, and that's being developed more and more with the pass-happy game of football, not just in the NFL, but at the college level as well. So you're going to have to see these guys really start to take that next step in terms of off- offensive versatility. Yeah, just
3: listen to some of these names, Farzy, that got cut this offseason. Ezekiel Elliott, 27 years old, cut. Dalvin Cook, 27 years old, cut. Leonard Fournette, 28 years old, cut. Kareem Hunt, 27 years old, not signed. Joe Mixon, 26 years old, they had to take a pay cut to stay. Aaron Jones, 28 years old, had to take a pay cut to stay. Saquon Barkley, only 26 years old, had to settle for the franchise tag. I know he renegotiated, didn't get much more. Josh Jacobs, same deal franchise tag just renegotiated didn't get much more and now Jonathan Taylor asking for a trade doesn't happen Austin Eckler asked for a trade doesn't happen Derrick Henry there was rumors he was on the market doesn't happen the value of the running back position just doesn't exist anymore you have to beat Christian McCaffrey is a wide receiver the guy is a wide receiver he's he caught a hundred balls last year that's a wide receiver's numbers so the NFL of the 90s, where you had this cowbell running back who carried the day, just doesn't exist anymore. And I talked about this on another show. Just look at the last few Super Bowl winners. Kansas City Chiefs win the Super Bowl last year. Isaiah Pacheco, seventh-round draft pick, is their running back. New England Patriots, excuse me, the Los Angeles Rams win the Super Bowl the year before that. Sonny Michel, Daryl Henderson, and Cam Akers are their running backs. Year before that is the Tampa Bay Bucks. They had Leonard Fournette on a one-year, three and a half million dollar deal. The Kansas City Chiefs in Super Bowl 54, Damian Williams, Super Bowl 53, New England Patriots, Rex Burkhead, James White, and Sony Michelle. And then we remember the Philadelphia Eagles in 2017, Jay Ajayi, Lagarrett Blunt, and Corey Clement. You don't need that Bell cow running back anymore, the guy that's going to carry. The day for you so that's why they're not paying these guys you just don't have to to be successful in the NFL anymore
2: Mm -hmm. no absolutely so I want to ask you this I've been thinking about Jimmy Graham all right if you remember when he was going through his contract dispute with the Saints he was listed as a tight end but he wanted to be paid as a wide receiver and I remember the Saints even pulled up his Twitter profile where he described himself as a tight end. Now I don't think that was a nail in the coffin, but that's just how far they're willing to dig in order to prove. No, 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 you're a tight end. Like, are wide receiver, are running backs now just gonna try to label themselves as slot receivers to try to just try to, you know, get more money? Because if you're a running back now in the NFL, that's the only way you're gonna get it. It's if you're catching ball, And I agree with you. Christian McCaffrey's a wide receiver more than he is, or a slot receiver more so than he is a running back. But obviously he came up that way with the Carolina Panthers, but now the game has evolved to a point where the last thing you want to be on a team is a running back. And then after that, it's probably a linebacker on most defenses now. Like the Eagles don't want to pay linebackers. Right after running back, it's linebacker. So when you look at those two positions right now, they are being dwindled down to guys having to change the way their positions are being described in the NFL and the way those positions are being played. So, uh, to go back to the list real quick, Christian McCaffrey is number one, and then after that, that's where you have the run of wide receivers. Jamar Chase, who you mentioned, is number two on this list. Justin Jefferson. I was surprised. I think, I think Justin Jefferson is the best wide receiver in the NFL right now. And if you're going to talk about other guys being ahead of him, Jamar Chase obviously has a pretty damn good quarterback throwing him the football uh, in Joe Burrow. I think most people take Joe Burrow over Kirk Cousins. But just all in all, I think it's Justin Jefferson. He was ranked number two on that NFL top 100 list. It was Mahomes, uh, Justin Jefferson, and then Jalen Hurts as the top three players in the NFL. Then it's Tyreek Hill. Justin Fields, Jalen Hurts, Aaron Rodgers, Garrett Wilson are all tied for fifth on NFL Offensive Player of the Year going into the 2023 season. Justin Fields already? He's the sexy pick for everybody right now of
3: having Eh. a great season. I think what Jalen Hurts did from year one to year two is what a lot of people are seeing with Justin Fields, is they're hoping he takes that same leap as a starter from year one to year two as a starter. And if he can – we saw it. The Eagles played the – Chicago Bears last year you see how talented Justin Fields is as a runner and if he can start to be able to add throwing to his game he could be a really really tough quarterback
2: yeah it's interesting to see and again these are predictions so I understand it does it makes sense if you're looking at a guy like Justin Fields and you're saying all right he can take a Hertzian type leap from year one to year two then all right go for it you know I, I love this as a fan of football I'd I'd absolutely love to see it. Uh, I think a lot of it's going to come down to the idea of um, the Eagles overall just taking that step forward as an offense. The thing that holds the Eagles back, and we'll get into this in a second, we've talked a lot about the good things that surround the Eagles this season. We'll continue with this list of potential uh, players of the year, defensive, offensive. We'll also talk about coach of the year and all that stuff, rookies as well. But there are concerns surrounding this Eagles team. And I know in the opening segment of the show, Bill, you and I were going back and forth on some things that might be a little too optimistic. Some things that when facing the Eagles might be the rose-colored glasses. Well, when we come back, we're going to break down a couple of the storylines surrounding the Eagles that are big question marks surrounding this team going into the year. We'll revisit the topic of whether or not the Super Bowl hangover is going to be a real thing with the Eagles. We'll also run through the NFC and AFC when we talk about potential Super Bowl matchups when it comes to the big storylines surrounding surrounding the rest of the NFL. Dan Cilio has the day off. That's Bill Calarulo. I'm Mark Barzetta. This is the National Football Show here on the J- Just gave the sauce a good stir, Bill. Oh, smell it on my clothes. (laughs) Literally, smell. I put a little flank steak in there, you know, for the extra flavor. Oh. Now, do you
3: do
2: you do crabs and gravy ever? Um, my it's actually one of my dad's favorite things. So this is this is where it gets interesting. You just touched on a really big subject here because my mom is from Baltimore. My dad is from Ambler, I'm from Ambler, and those worlds come to a crashing collision okay like uh, my dad when he went to meet my mom's family he literally they put crabs on the table my dad didn't eat anything and they go well what are you doing and he goes well i'm just waiting for the gravy and pasta and they're like what what are you yeah. talking about um so because they have the old bay all over them uh but yeah i it's not my favorite thing but i do do it i just don't do it in baltimore where it's just not a very big thing are you a big fan of it big fan
3: yeah so i'm obviously big italian family and what we used to do every summer and we would gotten away from it is we would take a big crabbing trip all of us there'd be like 30 40 of us we would catch hundreds of crabs it'd be awesome then we'd have the assembly line cleaning them in my grandmom's garage (laughs) and then my grandmother would make the crab gravy for the following weekend and i mean i could sit there with a bowl of the gravy and a loaf of italian bread and just dip it like it was soup man
2: i love that. that is that is fantastic so my wife and I recently moved into a new neighborhood in uh, January. We moved and my neighbor who, you know, we're just getting to know comes over. Like the first month we're here, uh, actually maybe two months later. And he gives me like a, uh, like a dozen crabs, like live crabs. And I'm like, what the hell? And he's like, Oh, I like to go crabbing. And I like to uh, share the wealth. Yeah. And I'm like, share away, my friend, <coughs> yeah, share away. Yeah. So before we go away, I'll be delivering some brajol over there as well. So, you know. We keep it going. You know, it's a back and forth. You know how it is here. I I need a neighbor like that, man. Yeah, really. You ain't kidding, man. Uh, Also, uh, I do want to say that I don't know what anybody else is doing in our uh, chat here. By the way, yes, Big Sills is off today. Needed a day running around with the family uh, for the holiday weekend. So you got Bill and I here filling in on the National Football Show. But uh, later tonight, Bill, I'm going to be hitting up uh, Fairmount, my old neighborhood, uh, because the Eagles are having a uh, Kelly Green pep rally. Just outside the penitentiary, I know Brandon Graham will be there. I'm going to swing by. I'm going to do a little Farzy in the Field segment, uh, interview some fans, do a little package for tomorrow morning's Farzy show, and see if anybody else wants to run it during the day on uh, right here on the Jacob Media YouTube channel. But I'll be headed down there. I have not been around a bevy of Eagles fan. You know, COVID and all that stuff, it, it, it's been rough. But, you know, last year I, I was at um, uh, Ocean Casino. Uh, during the pregame show and then of course I scurry home to make sure that I catch the game in time this year I'll be doing pre post you and I'll be doing halftime for Jacob Media Promotions Casino so, so look that, yep. I look forward I'm pumped to do that but I am I'm not around the fans like I used to be so I'll be down there uh tonight uh in Fairmount. so if anyone's there you see me running around please uh please say hi and maybe we'll get you in on the uh on the bit to talk about your bold predictions for the upcoming NFL season and your Philadelphia Eagles as well that's what I look forward to Bill that is awesome i wish i was making my way down there i'm a former
3: fairmount guy too far is he 20th and green i was at 27th and brown nice
2: yeah I look at that Wow, oh, it, it it is great and i i spent 20 years i spent my adult life pretty much in fairmount i love that neighborhood moved out for a minute came right back as soon as i could it was fantastic absolutely love that neighborhood um But uh, speaking of predictions for the upcoming season, we've talked a lot about some great things going on with the Philadelphia Eagles this year and some great things to expect. And, uh, you know, it could all blow up in our faces. I don't expect it to, but it could. If it does, like our friend Jimmy Kemski uh, for Philly Voice does these uh, pieces during the offseason. Like why your team will be a complete dump. fire and then he also does why your team's going to win a super bowl so we i think we know why the eagles could could win a super bowl but why would the eagles be a complete dumpster fire this year bill on the other side now you and i i just want to say it one more time for those that hadn't heard yet we think the eagles are going to win the division you think the eagles are going to win the division correct i do as do i but let's just go to a parallel universe here for a second And why would the Eagles possibly be a dumpster fire? What would make the Eagles? And we're not going to predict injuries because we're not putting that into the world. We're talking about things when it comes to play calling, overall performance. We're not talking about injuries. But when you talk about this Philadelphia Eagles team, if this is going to be a dumpster fire, there's two reasons that jump out to me as to why it's going to be a dumpster fire, Bill. Well, let me ask you, though,
3: Farzi, when you say dumpster fire, are we talking about a losing record or just not winning the NFC East?
2: Oh, I'm talking about a losing record. I'm talking about this Eagles team is nothing compared to what they were last year. They don't lose the, they don't win the division. They maybe get a wild card. But I, it's a reason this team is going to be a shell of what we're expecting them to be in the upcoming season. So... I can't
3: imagine that they are a, quote-unquote, dumpster fire, absent injuries. I I can't imagine that this team, with the talent that they have, are not going to win a lot of games. Now, with that being said, the way that they maybe don't win the NFC East and don't make it far into the playoffs would be on the defensive side of the ball. Is the linebacker position bigger questions than we're we're talking about. Is the safety position going to be a problem? Is Sean Desai the right guy? Now, I know Jonathan Gannon is a polarizing figure in this town. I wasn't a huge fan of his, but I don't think he was as bad as a lot of people said he was. I didn't like the style of play. It came back to haunt us in the Super Bowl when we saw good quarterbacks, how they could just pick apart his defense. But is Sean Desai worse than Jonathan Gannon? And are these linebackers and these safeties a problem? That's the way I could see potentially the Eagles not winning enough games to win the division or potentially losing in round one of the playoffs.
2: Wild card. You hit on one of mine, Sean Desai. Absolutely. I think the two biggest question marks going into this season, one is named Sean Desai and the other is named Brian Johnson. I know that he like uh, babysat Jalen Hurts, and I know he's known Jalen Hurts forever. And he's known Jalen Hurts before Jalen Hurts, do Jalen Hurts, and all this other stuff. I don't care. I need to see them calling plays. I need to see them being put in a great position by their offensive coordinator because this is a guy that hasn't called plays since college. All right. That's a concern for me. Is it an overwhelming concern? No, but if I am looking as for a reason why this team is not going to be nearly as successful as I really am expecting to be, it's because, one, their offensive coordinator isn't anywhere as good as uh, Shane Steichen was. Uh, I don't want play calling to have to go back to um, – Nick Sirianni, because Nick wasn't very good at it, and I think Nick Sirianni not being good at play calling is more so the reason that Shane Steichen was the play caller and more so the reason certainly as to why Brian Johnson is now the play caller. It's not because uh, you know they're so great. It's that maybe Nick isn't that good at it, and he's much better at being that CEO type of head coach where he has his hands off and he delegates. Game planning the whole week, great. Game planning day of, not so great. The other reason is, Sean, the I think your coordinators are the biggest question marks going into this. Again, you're talking about – like so we look at the safety position right now with this Philadelphia Eagles team. We look at a guy like Reed Blankenship, and then we could be looking at Sidney Brown. And that's what a lot of us want. That's what I want. But if you did that, that's a guy that has one year under his belt of being a starting safety in the NFL and a rookie. So now you have a guy that has one year of being a defensive coordinator under his belt in Sean Desai, and you have a guy who has never been an offensive coordinator or play caller in the NFL. He's coming off being a quarterback's coach, hasn't called plays since he was in college. That That is a concern of mine. And if the Eagles are going to have a lot of trouble this year, I think it's going to go back to the two coordinators who might be in over their head. Now, I don't think they're going to be, but I won't know that until I see it. Like, as, as – look, Jonathan Gannon, I'm with you. I know a lot of people didn't like him because he didn't blitz. The bottom line is, Bill, if I told you that the Eagles were going to have 70 sacks before a season and you're a you know hardcore Eagles fan, you're doing backflips with excitement. But if I tell you, hold on, hold whoa, 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 they hardly ever blitz. Then you're like, well, that's not as fun. Like, how specific and how particular can you be? You're bringing the quarterback down. It's the bottom line. But when it comes to Sean Desai, if he doesn't make in-game adjustments – if he does over-pursue, if he does blitz more and gets burned, well, then this defense is going to look as big. It's not going to look as tough. It's not going to look as nasty. And on the offensive side of things, Let's say you don't make adjustments as well. Let's say you don't throw to your running backs again. Let's say you're wide receivers. You can't get it figured out when it comes to Devontae Smith and it comes to uh, A.J. Brown. Let's say you don't have those guys on the same page with the quarterback. Let's say uh, Dallas Goddard isn't getting enough touches. Let's say that uh, DeAndre Swift isn't catching enough passes out of the backfield. Like There's a lot to orchestrate here, and as we always say, and we say it with every other team that has an embarrassment of riches, especially on the offense, there's one ball. There's one ball, and although I don't think, again, I don't think it's going to be a factor this year, it is in the back of my mind that this ridiculous storyline has started up somehow, some way, with now A.J. Brown and Devontae, the team Devontae Smith, team A.J. Brown. I hate it, but A.J. Brown has heard it, and it started with Darius Slay, saying that uh, Devontae Smith, it's not going to be long before we're talking about him, as if he's the best wide receiver in the NFL. A.J. Brown's, what, 27? Devontae Smith's, what, 24, 25 years old? They're not that far off in age here. They could both be the best wide receiver in the NFL. But I don't need that poison starting to get dropped in the old drink there, the Philadelphia Eagles. So one and two, I go with the coordinators as to why this team could absolutely be poised for the disappointment. And then after that, I'll go to the fact that you can you only have one football to go around this offense, and you got a you got a load of weapons to share that football with. So if I had to say, if I had to say that this team was going to have um, a disappointing year, comes down to coordinators and sharing the football offensively.
3: Yeah, the Brian Johnson thing, Colin plays is I know Nick Sirianni and Brian Johnson have both said, look, we do a lot of game planning during the week. A lot of these plays are already put in place before game day, but we've seen it. You saw it in 2017 with Doug Peterson. You saw it last year with Shane Steichen. There is a feel for the game that a play caller has to have to be able to call the right play at the right time, make appropriate adjustments depending on what defense you're getting. So that is a huge question mark. You're right. Can Brian Johnson, in the heat of the moment, make the right play calls? Two-minute drills, things of that nature. How is he going to be? So I'm hopeful as well that he's going to be okay. He was here last year. But we Mm -hmm. won't know, just like we won't know how N'Kobe Dean's going to play. We have to see it before we can say for certain. But I'm going to give a stat I've been seeing in the chat. There's a lot of Cowboys hate going on in the (laughs) chat. And let me get this out of the way first. I am a huge Eagles fan, and I hate the Cowboys probably just as much as the rest of you. But there's another stat that is extremely interesting that the Eagles are going to have to buck this trend if they want to repeat as the first NFC East champs in 20 years and that's Dak Prescott's record against the NFC East. Dak Prescott, say what you will about him and he's lost big games and he was a turnover machine last year. As a starter in the NFL, Dak Prescott is 27 and 7 against the NFC East. He's 8 and 3 against the Eagles, 9 and 2 against the Commanders and 10 and 2 against the Giants. So, if the Philadelphia Eagles want to buck that trend, We have to be able to beat Dak Prescott and the Dallas Cowboys. And I'm hopeful this is the year the Eagles go 2-0 against Dallas and whip up on them in Dallas. But that's something that shocked me was Dak Prescott's record against the NFC East.
2: You know what? It just – I enjoy that. And I know I shouldn't enjoy it, but I'm aware – I didn't know the exact numbers, but I'm aware of his success around not just the Eagles but the entire NFC, okay? I love it because it sets them up with such disappointment. They go through the regular season being able to build up this kind of uh, bravado, they, they build up this confidence, and then what happens? I mean, talk about dumpster fires. They're a dumpster fire when the playoffs come around. So I love that idea, Bill, that they build themselves up throughout the regular season, and they have a lot of success throughout the regular, uh, regular season, and then what it matters most, they come up the smallest, and there's no better example than last year. I mean, you're talking about Jalen Hurts getting more playoff wins in one playoff run than Dak Prescott has in his career. So that to me shows you, or as many as Dak Prescott has in his career. So that to me is just more reason to believe believe that the Cowboys are going to fall apart. The other thing, we talk about play calling from Brian Johnson. If, If you're Mike McCarthy, you taking on more responsibility is probably not the best thing. If you're the Dallas Cowboys, I know he's had success with guys like Aaron Rodgers. And I know everyone says Aaron Rodgers is the guy that made that team. People forget there was like 18 different Green Bay Packers on IR the year they won the Super Bowl against the Steelers. So there's so, there's some part of that, of them winning was coaching. I'll acknowledge that. And I'm, a, I'm not a Mike McCarthy fan in the least, but that's a fact. So the Dallas Cowboys coming up this year and potentially having another great season within the NFC East and beating up on the other teams. To me, that, that doesn't matter. Because ultimately, what's going to matter is when they underperform right around playoff time. And I love when they build up their hopes, only to have their hopes and dreams burned by the time playoff season runs around.
3: Yeah, let me make this clear. I don't think the Dallas Cowboys are going to win the NFC East this year. But when I'm talking about that record, the Philadelphia Eagles, when you look at their schedule, can't afford to lose games to the Dallas Cowboys. If, remember, NFL changed the Good rules point. now. Good point. There is only one team that gets that bye. And I think that was very important for the Philadelphia Eagles to make it to the Super Bowl last year was having that first round bye, having home field advantage at the link. And I don't think there's a team in the NFC that can come into the link and beat the Philadelphia Eagles in the playoffs. But if the Eagles have to go on the road, they have to go to San Francisco or they have to go to another team stadium. I don't like our chances as much as I do at the link. So that's why I think you look at this record. Yeah, the Dallas Cowboys, they'll fall apart. They do every year. But if the Eagles lose to the Dallas Cowboys, that could be the difference between a one seed and the the two seed, which is huge now with the one seed only getting the bye. So Mm -hmm. that's what I mean by that.
2: No, no. And I absolutely hear that. Yeah, I don't. I I think people understand that. Yeah, we don't really have high hopes for the Cowboys this year. But here's the thing I don't understand. Cowboys fans every year they get louder and louder by doing less and less. Like that's the thing. Like it's it still ends with disappointment for them. Like even if they think through the regular season they got some great things going for them. You have a guy like Cooper Rush win you what four games with Dak Prescott being out last year. Then they come back. Dak's a turnover machine when he comes back. It's just so crazy to me that they seem to get they seem to get uh, what's the word puffy more and more every single year by doing less and less. And that, to it me, just it, doesn't make any damn what's sense. Their
3: last, what's their last championship appearance? 1995?
2: Yeah, I would say 95 the year. maybe so it was the, the
3: last uh, conference championship game I think they went to.
2: Jeez. So. Yeah, that's pretty horrifying. That's pretty horrifying. Even yet, they still get loud. They still get loud. They still... They. You know what? It's funny. They don't really feel themselves either. If they did, they'd at least come back down to earth and be realists. <laughs> Cowboys fans should be humble, when you think about it, because they don't have a lot to brag about. Not within the last... Uh, two and a half decades. Funny how that works. Um, let's go back to that list that we had earlier when it comes to the defensive player of the year and a, a defensive player of the year, offensive player in the year. And this is on the note of guys like um, uh, guys from the Dallas Cowboys. Now, we've talked about Jalen Carter, potentially as a rookie uh, defensive player of the year, rookie defensive player of the year. We've talked about Nolan Smith in that regard. When it comes to other guys that could potentially be defensive players of the year from the Philadelphia Eagles, not a lot of guys jump out to you other than Hassan Reddick. Hassan Redick, Redick should have gotten a lot more consideration than he got last year. And wouldn't you know it? Not even on the list this year, Bill, as voted by NFL.com and the experts there. Micah Parsons is the number one man voted for defensive player of the year. After that is T.J. Watt, it's Miles Garrett, it's Nick Bosa. Sauce Gardner is on this list. Uh, Roquan Smith and uh, Patrick Sertan, uh, the second, is on this list. Again, slighted, Bill. Hassan Reddick, your thoughts.
3: I don't understand why Reddick doesn't get more respect nationally as a great defensive player. And I've had people say to me, because I've done videos about this on my Instagram, oh, well, he's only done it last year. That's not true. He is the first player in NFL history to have double-digit sacks for three different teams, three straight seasons. But yet the guy continues to not get the respect nationally. The only thing I can think of is, yeah, his first couple years in the league were a disappointment. He was a very high draft pick coming out of Temple, and he did not live up to that draft pick early, but he certainly has the last three years, and you saw it last year. It's not all about numbers. We've talked about that before when we were talking about quarterbacks. It's not all about numbers. You look at what Hassan Reddick did to opposing offenses, and he was so disruptive last year. I don't understand it. Look, is he going to win defensive player of the year? I don't know. But should he be in the conversation for it? Absolutely. Then I mean, that's the, what I don't understand. How these guys do not give him the respect nationally. But hey, look, let's hope he proves everybody wrong again. With that defensive line, he certainly can put up double digit sacks for the
2: fourth straight season. Yeah, okay. So on that point, we talk about success with the Cardinals, we talk about success with the Panthers, we talk about success with the Eagles. People look at that because he's done it with three different teams as that as if that's a detriment. Like that's against him. The fact that he has had different defensive coordinators, the fact that he's been in different schemes, but been able to maintain that same level of success, if not take it further, like he did last year with the Eagles. That's amazing to me. And to not get the type of respect that he at least deserves by being in that conversation, Bill is ridiculous. Now, you're going to be looking at a guy like uh, Nolan Smith being uh, in that uh, edge rusher position, similar to he is. You're going to be looking at defensive line, as you pointed out, that the Eagles have put together this year with Jalen Carter and Fletcher Cox in the middle of that defensive line. You're going to be able to have guys mixed in there with Brandon Graham and Josh Sweat. And still, is it like the only thing that makes sense to me, I mean, in all honesty, it's still just bottom line, doesn't make sense that he's not in the conversation. But if you're really trying to explain it, Is it similar to the way we talk about the Eagles' offense, like where there's only one ball and everybody is helping everybody and everyone can have success, but you have a guy like Devontae Smith helping out A.J. Brown, same vice versa, and Jalen Hurts is your MVP caliber quarterback. Is it the fact that the Eagles' defense is so versatile that people don't look at Asan Reddick like, oh, it's not him, it's the team to use Micah Parsons' line from a year ago? Because to me, I think that totally downplays the impact Asan Reddick has on the rest of that defense and the guys that are actually trying to get into the backfield.
3: Yeah. I don't know if that's the case because there's other teams. I mean, you look at the San Francisco 49ers and Nick Bosa is an absolute stud, Mm -hmm. but they have a lot of great players on their defense as well. And he still gets respected as he should. Nick Bosa is one of the best defensive players in the league. I just don't understand the Hassan Reddick hate, but I I really think if you look at the stats, and I just pulled them up again, I really think the reason Reddick doesn't get the respect is if you look at his first three seasons in the league, his rookie year, two and a half sacks, sophomore year, four sacks, third year in the league, one sack. So I think a lot of experts still look at those three seasons and think, oh, this guy was a first round bust. And he bounced back, 12 and a half sacks in Arizona the year after, 11 sacks in Carolina, and then puts up 16 sacks last year. So just like we were talking about Jalen Hurts, maybe what he needs to do is do it again. (laughs) Maybe if Hassan Reddick does it for the fourth straight year, (laughs) he'll
2: finally get respected. I I, I swear, I'm I'm not even kidding with you, Bill. I had that same thought. I was like, you know, Jalen Hurts, he's do it again. And I fourth year, like how many times does he have to be like knocking on the door at the Hall of Fame? To get any kind of respect whatsoever, because he's talking about years down the line for a guy like him. Yeah. Three years in a row for three different teams is pretty damn special. That means wherever you go, you're having success. And not just like mild, he's not coming away with eight sacks here. It's double-digit sacks. It's it's a guy that should be without doubt, without a doubt, defensive player. Does he need to force fumbles and score touchdowns to really get people's you know attention? Because it's been long enough. It's been three straight years to do it a fourth year. I mean, that would be that would be unbelievable. Um and Tone, but and he's Tone done just, it enough. Uh, Tone just reminded
3: me as well. Another three and a half sacks in the playoffs. I mean, the guy did it in the playoffs as well. And I know look, the haters will say he didn't do it in the Super Bowl and, and all that, but they had to change the rule in the NFL with regard to a third quarterback because of what Hassan Reddick did to the San Francisco 49ers. <laughs> That's right. So you know, and Tone's, Tone's hitting us with stats here. Reddick also led the league in third down sacks in 2022 and
2: forced fumbles.
3: Still doesn't get respected. I don't exactly. understand.
2: <laughs> but here's the other part. So obviously, those are clutch plays right there. Tone's also saying that uh, because he plays for the Eagles, that's why he doesn't get the respect. But let's look at it like this. So if he does it for a fourth year, okay, it might only be three teams, but that's four different defensive coordinators. Yeah. What more do you need? It's uh, yeah, beyond frustrating.
3: And and on a side note here, too, let's hope Asan Redick is healthy. I know he's battling that thumb injury coming into yeah. camp this year or coming out of camp, I should say. Yeah. And uh, we talked about A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith and potentially being some drama there. I'm hoping the whole contract situation with Asan Redick doesn't rear its ugly head until the offseason because you know he wants a new deal, severely, severely underpaid when you look at what the other edge rushers in the league are getting.
2: Sure, 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 sure. Um, The thing that is interesting about that, I know some Eagles fans took issue with reporters bringing it up. It was son Reddick that actually brought up the idea of being underpaid and brought up his contract first. And then was it Jeff McLean or Dave Zingaro, I think, that followed up on the question or on the statement saying, well, well, hold on, you brought up your contract. That's worth exploring there. So yeah, hopefully he does get a new deal. Hopefully he's around here for at least a, a couple more years and, and continues to be an impact player, which I think he can be. But, yeah, I think if he starts being that bigger money guy, then maybe the rest of the league will take a little bit more notice as far as getting, getting more attention for Defensive Player of the Year rankings. But, yeah, that's something that I think um, uh, he would, he'd like to see, a deal done and better uh, recognition from around the league as well. I, I remember talking to guys that struggled to even make Pro Bowls. And you could say some of this is sour grapes, but I remember talking to a handful of Eagles that were Pro Bowl caliber, but not Pro Bowl players. And one of the things that they talked about how is if they weren't big money guys, they didn't really get a lot of that recognition. If they were first round picks, early first round picks and young, then they would get recognition. But if they were in the league three, four, maybe five years and they weren't getting the big money, then forget about. Defensive player of the year consideration. They're lucky to get even Pro Bowl consideration at that point. Now, again, some of that could be sour grapes with some guys not getting enough playing time or enough uh, money. But when you look at a guy like Hassan Reddick, I think he's been around long enough. What And he's had the success for long enough. I guess what could it, what else could it be when it comes to the money portion of it? Because teams do want to promote their players. They want to promote them to uh, you know Pro Bowl standing. They want to give them more reps and all that stuff. And they want to pay him. So for me, it kind of makes sense when you talk about some of these guys that aren't getting that top dollar just yet and not getting that national recognition that they should be getting.
3: Yeah, a lot, sometimes it's a popularity contest, too. We know that. Sure. The the, the names that everybody knows and, and all that good stuff. But, but we will see. I mean, we were talking about Philadelphia Eagles not getting recognition. For the defensive rookie of the year, though, they are. We have two <laughs> defensive linemen on the list of the NFL's predictions for potentially the defense of the rookie of the year, and they come in. Number one, Jalen Carter getting 12 votes for defensive rookie of the year and tied for number six, Nolan Smith. So
2: they may not like the Eagles, but they like the Georgia Bulldogs. (laughs) Yeah, they like the Broad Street Bulldogs. Uh, I'll start on Nolan Smith. I I said when the Eagles drafted him and I looked around this defense, I don't think we're going to have to wait very long for Nolan Smith to get his first 10-sack season. I think at the NFL level, look, it's only preseason, but you saw the speed. It translated to the NFL game. It's a matter of how Sean Desai is going to deploy him uh, as a uh, edge rusher on this team, as an outside linebacker on this team, trying to get in the backfield. I think the speed is there. The wingspan is certainly there for him. I think the mentality is perfect for him. I People talk about him as mini uh, Hassan. He's certainly that. He is certainly, he's got a very similar build to him. I know the easy comparisons are Brandon Graham's personality with Asan Reddick's type of skill set. I, I, I just think the Eagles have a real winner in Nolan Smith. and Like we were talking about earlier, when it comes to the sexy numbers and the spa, splash plays and the sacks, that's a guy like Nolan Smith that I think fits that build very well. When you look at Jalen Carter, the number one guy, as you mentioned, out there, people are looking at that power. People are looking at the fact that he fell to the Eagles in the draft, and if he didn't have the -the off-the-field issues, he might have even been the number one pick in the draft. Most likely, that to me uh, speaks volumes for what this guy can do. And then above any analyst, above anybody, as you talked about earlier, Bill, from NFL.com ranking these players, I listen to the veterans on this team, whether it's Fletcher Cox, whether it's Jason Kelsey, whether it's uh, Dallas Goddard, whoever it might be, Lane Johnson, they're talking about Jalen Carter like he is a unicorn. Like this guy is a force to be reckoned with when you talk about speed, you talk about quickness, you talk about power and strength. He has it all on the interior of this defensive line. Him and Fletcher Cox, I think, are going to be bulldozing offensive lines this season. Where Yes, we're going to be talking a lot about the edge rushers, but, man, when we watch games – I think we're going to see a tremendous push up the middle from what the interior defensive line can do and what kind of break that's also going to give the guys on the edge as well.
3: Yeah, and you and I talked a little bit about this on the postgame show after the final preseason game. Could Jalen Carter set the Philadelphia Eagle rookie record for most sacks in a season? You have to go back to 2000 where Corey Simon had nine and a half sacks from that defensive tackle position. He's going to have an extra game to do it, I could see Jalen Carter getting double-digit sacks from that defensive tackle position if he's everything that these veterans
2: are saying that he is. Well, see that So that goes back to a guy like Javon Hargrave who got do- double-digit sacks, right? So now if you are upgrading that position with a guy like Jalen Carter and he's got the quickness and he's got the strength, then why not? Especially if you still have the same guys on the edge, especially if you still have a guy like Hassan Redick, especially if you've upgraded the other side. With Josh Wett, I think, proving himself really last year as, to what his talent really is at this NFL level, and then also we got like Nolan Smith coming off that edge as well. I mean, the sky's that's why when people say they can't get seventy sacks again, look, yes, I understand it would be hard. I understand they got a tougher schedule this upcoming season, but for this defense, I think they have loaded up again for another year. Let's see, last year you had Jordan Davis to this defensive line. He has the injury problem. We've talked about that. Then you uh, you go and you add Ndamukong Sue, you add Linball Joseph, you already have Javon Hargrave, and now you're adding another edge rusher in Nolan Smith. You brought in a more dominant defensive tackle or nose tackle in Jalen Carter, and you're pairing that with Hassan Reddick. Could be scary. I mean, it, 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 it could be very scary. Oh, and your, your secondary, other than your safety positions, are the same. I mean, your first three corners, including uh, Vontae Maddox in the nickel corner spot, you're, you're insanely talented defensively. You got a question mark with the Kobe Dean, and I feel like I've been president of the Kobe Dean Optimistic Fan Club, and then you don't know what you're having yet at the safety position. By the way, we haven't even touched on that. Before we go further on the list, who is the starting saf- who are the starting safeties of the Philadelphia Eagles in the upcoming season?
3: It's a good question. I mean, you know that the one safety position is going to be Reed Blankenship. Done. Who starts next to him? Who starts next to him? I don't think it's going to be Sidney Brown yet. I think Mm -hmm. Sidney Brown may win that job eventually. But there's a guy that really kind of went under the radar when they signed him in the offseason, and it was Justin Evans. So Justin Evans was a second-round pick in 2017 out of Texas A&M. And if you haven't seen the college highlight of him absolutely trucking Derrick Henry in college. It is unbelievable. Go YouTube, but I also have it on my Instagram. But Justin Evans trucked Derrick Henry in college. But he was a promising rookie, drafted in the second round, goes to Tampa Bay, had a really good rookie season, and then the injury bug got him. He was out in 2019 and 2020 with injuries, was completely out of football in 2021, signs a one year deal last year with the New Orleans Saints played in 15 games, started four of them, and played okay. But the Eagles signed him, and they signed him pretty early on in the offseason, and he's a guy where didn't look like he was getting a lot of reps in the beginning of training camp and started working his way in, working his way up that depth chart. If he can get back to the guy he was coming out of college – he may be your starter at that other safety position. And if it's not him, then clearly I think it'll be Terrell Edmonds who started for a lot of games for the Pittsburgh Steelers. But keep your eye on Justin Evans. This guy's got a lot of skills. If he can bounce back and he's healthy, he could be a really good safety.
2: All right, so I'll ask this in two ways. I'll ask the prediction, and then I'll ask what what you want to happen. So your prediction, because I think it's going to be Terrell Edmonds. My desire is that it's Sidney Brown. What is your prediction? I mean, I know, right? About people, right? I mean, I think the startup costs are a real thing. I just want to see him out there. Let him make mistakes. Like, here's the thing I hate about the idea of not starting Sidney Brown. God forbid you coach somebody up. Oh, my God. God forbid you let somebody go out there make a couple of mistakes and you can actually coach him up and he can learn. And then maybe by week three, week four, he's got his feet wet enough to the point where he can really help out this defense. The other thing is, if you're a safety on this team, you, you don't got to be necessarily the deepest man on the field. You don't have to be overly aggressive. You can try to tame that a little bit with Sidney Brown because you have guys up front that can get to the quarterback and you have guys up front that can make a mistake. So I feel like your safeties and even your corners to a degree are going to have a little bit of a, of, a, of a, not a learning curve, but have a little bit of leeway here considering the pass rush you're going to be able to generate even without blitzing. Again, without blitzing like last year, like under Jonathan Gannon. <laughs> You might see a little bit more blitzing, but even more similar to that. But I, my desire is Sidney Brown. My prediction is going to be Terrell Edmonds.
3: Yeah, I could see the argument, like you're saying, getting Sidney Brown in early. Because you look at this schedule, they don't really play a good quarterback. Well, I, Kirk Cousins is a decent quarterback. But they don't really play an upper echelon quarterback until week five. So you could put Sidney Brown in there. He's got Mac Jones week one, Kirk Cousins week two. Baker Mayfield, Week Three. Sam Howell, Week Four. So you could talk about those startup costs, getting him some some play, and I think they will. So when we're talking about the quote unquote starter, I think it'll be Terrell Edmonds or Justin Evans. But okay. I do think Sidney Brown is going to get some playing time in these games, trying to get him up to speed. He's certainly going to play special teams, we know that. Yeah. But is he also going to get on the field from a defensive on the defensive side of the ball? And I think he will. I do think before the season is over. Sydney Brown and Reed Blankenship will be your starting safeties.
2: Okay. All right, look, we got our final segment coming up. We went long on that first one. We were just getting into the football and the Eagles and all that stuff. Uh, Defensive Rookie of the Year, we touched on that. We'll get into uh, Comeback Player of the Year. We'll get into Coach of the Year, where Nick Sirianni ranks and all of that. Um, spoiler, I think some people are going to be disappointed. Uh, we'll get into that conversation. We'll make some predictions about the AFC as well. We'll get to some of your comments in the chat coming up in a minute. That's Bill Calarula. I'm Mark Farzetta. We're in for Dan Cilio, who has the day off. Uh, We'll be back in a minute here on the Jacob Media YouTube channel.
4: Greatest fans on earth. It's a bold statement, but would you expect anything less from Philadelphia? Fifty-eight years of heartache creates a toughness, a grit, a resolve not found in most. Sure, our prayers were answered, but now that we've had a taste, we're looking for more. Pondley Hockey, official partner of the Philadelphia Eagles.
0: Right, did you know I was the mommy slam dunk champion? Really? <laughs> yes, really. Don't sound so surprised. Let's see it. Oh, you're ready. All right. Here we go. Let's hear the crowd. <sighs> so go to her. Go to the mom. Mama. mama, go. Oh, mama! She did it.
4: Again?
3: You can't avoid gravity, but United Healthcare can help you avoid financial surprises by helping you compare costs and doctor quality ratings.
1: United Healthcare.
3: Uh huh.
1: Eagles, Eagles.
2: Looking forward to being around the fans in about an hour. I'll be uh, down Fairmount. I'll be uh, in the old stomping grounds, man, right outside the penitentiary for the Kelly Green kickoff. By the way, did you hear Dave Spinner I didn't realize until Dave Spinner said this during the pre-game or during the uh, the preseason. The fastest selling and most-selling alternate jersey ever in the NFL. Ever. Not just like Philadelphia Eagles jersey, but ever in the NFL, the Kelly Green. And they even thought, no, maybe we won't bring it back. How bonkers is that, that it has flown, literally flown off the shelves in the time that it's been on, Bill? I, it's insane. doesn't surprise me, though, man. We've been waiting for this. We have been waiting for this.
3: But the uh, the reason they didn't bring these out sooner was because of the whole... Having that second helmet rule that the NFL used to have, because Jeff yeah. Lurie, Jeffrey Lurie didn't want to have to have this alter, alternate jersey, but wear the midnight green helmets with it. So now that they've changed that, it's going to be it's going to be. See, awful. Bill, I always thought that was bull. <laughs> I always thought but it was. That, there's, bull. there's truth there. There's truth.
2: I, I understand that there's the rule, and they said it was the rule that prevented them. But if you notice, the green helmet they had did not match the same green they had on their black jersey. Like, remember the black jersey had the green trim? It wasn't the same. Yeah. So I'm like, 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 I thought they were. Plus, I have seen Howie Roseman, I've seen Don Spolinsky talk about it. And like talking about bringing back the Kelly Green jersey prematurely, I don't know if it was like a death sentence in the Eagles organization, but it was like just something you didn't do. I've had Eagles play. Jason Avat would tell me how much the Lorries hated Kelly Green. And other players would tell me how much the uh, Kelly, the Lori's hated Kelly Green. They bring it back. It turns out to be a phenomenal business decision. Oh, Flies yeah, off the it. shelves. They love
3: it now with all the green they're making from it. You know what I mean? So they're <laughs> they're making a ton of money off of it right now. But money say, green. Let me yeah. ask you, so Kelly Green jerseys fire. I mean, those things are awesome. Definitely. What other throwback jersey in the NFL
2: would you put up there as one of the best? As the best throwback jerseys. Oof. Uh... I know everybody likes the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I think the Tampa the cream Bay, the, the, yeah. the creamsicle, sherbert, whatever the hell that is. I think that's ugly. Yeah. I, people love it. I was never a fan of it. Uh, the throwback jerseys, the San Diego Chargers, that 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 uh, what powder blue, uh, yeah, uh, baby blue. Ones. That was a great those, one.
3: Yeah, there was white helmets with them. Look good.
2: Oh, those no, those are those are pretty fantastic. So someone uh, in the
3: chat just said the the Oilers. And how
2: about the Tennessee oh, wow. Titans are going to wear throwback
3: Oilers? jerseys this year that's a little bit uh rubbing it in isn't it you take the team from houston and you're going to wear a throwback jersey uh
1: uh,
3: yeah uh, the oilers jerseys were great man i stumped you with this one
2: yeah you did uh
3: so I think in Philly we're lucky we got not only the throwback Kelly Greens I love the Phillies throwback Powder Blues man those are fire too
2: yeah I think they're I think those are awesome I I, I mean I was young I don't remember but like people told me that they weren't very well received originally really. which I think is ridiculous but no for for me definitely the Kelly Green Eagle obviously I like the San Diego Chargers the the, the Powder Blue I guess I just really like blue um, and you know the New England Patriots logo. The old one with the the, The white helmet with
3: that old Patriot on it, yeah, yeah,
2: exactly. That's that was pretty cool. Like when they lost to the um, uh, Bears in the Super Bowl, the '85 Bears, that was a great, that was a great look. Like I like that old school look. Like the Packers really haven't changed. Think about that. The Bears obviously haven't really changed. Yeah, that's that's the old jerseys, man. I got to go Eagles and then San Diego. Now I'm saying San Diego specifically because. That's the old the superchargers, man. Yeah. Do you have I one that jumps up to you? No, nah, not really.
3: Not really. I, I think I do like the, those creamsicle Tampa Bay Buck ones. But, you know, it's interesting. I know a lot of Eagles fans are saying, hey, we should go Kelly Green. We should go Kelly Green, all of it. But I kind of like the fact that, look, if you had pizza every single day, you don't love pizza as much, right? So I like the fact that we have to wait for it. It makes it more exciting. If we were Kelly Green, yeah. it wouldn't be as exciting.
2: I'm, I'm with you. I'm absolutely with you. Here's the one thing I will say about the the somewhat surprising nature of how fast the Kelly Green is flying off the shelves. They won a Super Bowl in the Midnight Green. They, they didn't – look, 48-49, they won back-to-back NFL championships. I don't think you and I were around. Uh, 1960, I don't think you and I were around. They won another championship. They won a – other than that, they didn't do anything in the Kelly Green. And then they made it to a Super Bowl with Donovan in the uh, the Midnight Green. They won a Super Bowl in the midnight green, and now more recently they went to another Super Bowl in the midnight green, and still we crave. It. You know when in the Michael Vick game where Kevin Cobb got knocked out in the season opener against the uh, Green Bay Packers, and Michael Vick came in, they were well in the ke- they were well in the ke- they were wearing the Kelly green that year in that game, and that was the only other time we saw it. Yeah. And people still loved it then, though. People still loved it then. Like the
3: yellow jacket throwbacks that they had that one year. I actually have one of those. So I used to work for the Eagles. And as, okay. a, gift, as a gift to me that season, I got a jersey with the number 75 with my name on the back of it. And I have it in my house. But it was so damn hideous,
2: man. <laughs> that was such a tease. Because I remember the Eagles had announced that they were going to be wearing throwback jerseys. So everybody immediately. Oh, Kelly Green. Yeah. thought Kelly the came green. Out those yellow and blue. Well, yeah, exactly. And what was it? Um, was it? 2006, 2007? Yeah, it had to be because that's when
3: I was working down there. Kevin, okay. Curtis, Kevin Curtis was the wide receiver. He had a big yeah. game that game.
2: Against the Lions. And Against Kevin Cobb Lions. came in and fumbled almost immediately because uh, they were up by so much. Kevin Curtis had um, like, like 200, 200 yards. yards. Yeah. So yeah, I remember that game, and they announced that they were going to be doing a throwback jersey. Everyone thought Kelly Green. They came out with the Yellow Jackets, and everyone just hated it. Hey, I remember they had a lot of Brian Dawkins, Frankfurt Yellow Jackets jerseys, a lot of Brian Westbrook, a couple McNabs. And then after that game, a couple uh, Kevin Curtis's. So there you go. Um, but yeah, that is absolute wow. That really. So you're a creamsicle guy. You enjoyed the uh, the, the 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 Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I because they're so ugly. It's just, you like
3: them, you know, they're like so ugly that you like them. All
2: right. uh, Let's get back to this list. I want to talk about some more of these, uh, these predictions. Uh, We talked a lot about the Eagles already. We talked a lot about what's going on with Jalen Hurts. Talked a lot about the storylines going into the season, the pros and cons. If the Eagles are going to have a lot of success, why? If the Eagles are going to have uh, some failure this year, why they would have failure. But looking around the rest of this, I think we're looking at a lot of teams in the NFC. We look at the, uh, the uh, San Francisco 49ers. We look at the Dallas Cowboys as the two biggest threats most likely to the Philadelphia Eagles in the NFC. After those two names, Bill, just to stick in the NFC before we go to the AFC, you got the Cowboys and you got the San Francisco 49ers. After that, who in the NFC jumps out to you as a team that could really be a threat to the Eagles to repeat as NFC champions?
3: Really, I don't see any teams. I know there's a couple that... Could potentially be better this year. You look at the Detroit Lions, they're the sexy pick that a lot of people think are going to be good. Seattle Seahawks played well with Geno Smith last year. I'm not buying it. I think Geno Smith is an average quarterback. I don't think he's a very good quarterback, but I really don't see other teams on paper. And everything changes when these games get played, obviously. But on paper, if you look at it, I think it's a three team race. I think you got the Eagles, the 49ers. And the Dallas Cowboys. Dallas Cowboys, I think, are at the bottom of that list. So I really think it's the 49ers and the Cowboys. I don't see another team. Now, one of my buddies, my college quarterback, huge Giants fan, calls me every single day to tell me how good the Giants are going to be this season. So high on Daniel Jones. I don't share the same love of Daniel Jones. What I will say, though, about the New York Giants is I think they have a great coach in Brian Dable. And that's the one thing that does concern me is you saw them win really with smoke and mirrors last year. I know they had an easier schedule, but Brian Dable had them win a lot of games simply by really good coaching. So could the Giants cause some problems? I'm not buying Daniel Jones, but I am buying Brian Dable.
2: Yeah, and they are a very well-coached team. Even Mike Kafka, their offensive coordinator, who was a backup here in Philadelphia for a little bit, a lot of people look at him as you know a, 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 a head coach in in the making. Uh, He's a guy that a lot of people have been high on for a long time. Obviously, Wink Martindale knows what he's doing on the defensive side of things. He just doesn't know how to stop Boston Scott. That's kind of been a problem for him. And Darren Waller is, I think, going to be a great tight end with them. Uh, I don't have a lot of confidence. If he stays healthy, sure. Um, But Daniel Jones one of those guys. You know how I was saying, I don't really really have a lot of respect for all the love that a guy like Justin Herbert gets? I at least understand that more than any respect that Daniel Jones gets. I do not have a lot of respect for Daniel Jones. I feel like the the best way you could sum up Daniel Jones' career is that he could break off a 70-yard run and trip over the 10-yard line and just won't make it into the end zone like he did against the Eagles that night. So for me, I just do not have a lot of respect for Daniel Jones. And any, quarter, any team that is quarterbacked by him, I feel like is going to cough it up when it matters most. So I don't buy into the Giants. But as far as the coaching goes, I don't think they're going to lose games because of coaching they're going to lose games because of turnovers and just overall not being talented enough. Uh, and I think they have some very talented – Saquon Barkley just blows me away. And if he can't make money in this league, well, then that position is dead and buried already, as we already know it is, unfortunately. But, yeah, um, for me, if I'm looking at those teams not name the 49ers and not name the Cowboys, there's one team and it just – and it's not because of quarterbacks on Netflix, but I think Kirk Cousins is a good quarterback with a phenomenal – receiver and what he has uh in minnesota and i just think that that's too good a combination mostly because of justin jefferson to just push to the wayside the eagles did a phenomenal job shutting shutting them down in what week two of the season last year they'll have an opportunity to do it again this year but i just think that that offense is poised for bigger things even more so than what they were able to do last year so just not a team that i think is going to be a threat not nearly to the likes of the Cowboys or the 49ers, but just another team to kind of put on the watch list. Like I'll put on a similar list to that I will of uh, the Seattle Seahawks and all the things they've been able to do in the offseason. Just another team to keep an eye on. It's going to be the Minnesota Vikings. But I think it is going to be, to me, a one-horse race. I think it's the Eagles. But after that, I think it's by far the 49ers. Like I'll put it to you like this. The Philadelphia Eagles stepped down. The, the 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 49ers the Cowboys another step down then I think you're looking at the Seahawks and uh, the the Minnesota Vikings those are the other top the tier teams that I'll put it to like that would you agree with that kind of tier system in the NFC
3: I think I may put the Detroit Lions ahead of the Minnesota Vikings I think the Detroit Lions we talk about quarterbacks as nice of a guy as Kirk Cousin looked on quarterbacks and he does look like he's a nice guy I think Jared Goff is a better quarterback than Kirk Cousins. I think Jared Goff does not get the respect that he should be getting. I don't think he's an elite quarterback by any means, but I do think he is a very good quarterback in this league. And that team looks good. Dan Campbell looks like a good coach. He had them playing really hard last year. They've continued to get better. I think they're going to be the team that comes out of the NFC North. So Mm -hmm. that's why I wouldn't put the Vikings as high as you would.
2: Okay. Now I can see why I do with the Vikings or the Lions. They finished the season really strong last year, so that's the good one there. Jordan Love, a question mark, obviously, with Green Bay when you're looking at that division. The, the Bears might jump out and surprise some people as well. But again, this is like talking about problems with the Eagles when you're getting to the third string and the fourth string. Yeah, you just have a pretty good football team. Um, as far as the AFC, you have the teams that kind of jump out to everybody. Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs. Then after that, you talk about teams like the Buffalo Bills. You talk about teams like the Cincinnati Bengals and what they could bring to the table. We mentioned earlier Joe Burrow and some of the question marks surrounding his health to start the season. Is it as clear-cut with the Chiefs as it is for the Eagles in the NFC, or do you think the Chiefs have guys that are nipping at their heels?
3: Again, on paper, I think the Chiefs are always going to be head and shoulders above everybody in the AFC simply because of their quarterback. The quarterback is just so damn good. And Mahomes is just – he's on a different level than these other guys. But I do think that the Bengals are close. Joe Burrow has shown he's a winner. He played really well in his first two years in the NFL. And is this the year that the Buffalo Bills can finally get over the hump? I mean, I think they have to do something this year. Josh Allen, every single year, keeps falling short. This has to be the year that the Buffalo Bills do something. But there's another team that I will never count out. And that's the Pittsburgh Steelers. Because you look at Mike Tomlin, the guy's never had a losing record as a head coach. That is a remarkable stat that this guy has never had a losing record. And it was just a preseason. As Eagles fans, we know what the preseason can look like. Sam Bradford and Chip Kelly. But Kenny Pickett looked really good in the preseason. That receiver they have, Pickens, looks really good. So the Steelers, they could be a dark horse in the AFC.
2: One one thing I couldn't get over from last year is that Najee Harris two years ago had this like breakout year. Looked like he was going to be a bell cow back and and be able to catch the ball to the backfield as well and do all these great things. And then last year it felt like they really, even with a young quarterback, they did not trust giving the ball to Najee Harris nearly as much as they did in the previous season. And I thought you know he was going to be a uh, you know a comfort zone. I thought he was going to be a guy that you could rely on and take some pressure off your young quarterback. And they just did not ride him like they thought they like i thought they would at the start of the season why all of a sudden did he like disappear last year
3: well i had him on my fantasy league two years ago oh, so I, I was not happy with what he did last year but i think he was battling some injuries last season he did have a lot of touches as a rookie but i do think i think he had maybe a foot i could be wrong but i thought he had a a little bit of a foot injury last year but you know we'll see but the guy they have a lot of power on that offense i know people are saying no way the Steelers but Good coaching, tough place to play. If they're a quarterback, I know he's got small hands. That was the thing about him coming out of college, small hands. But the Steelers could be a good team as well. But I do think it's probably a three team race. It's probably the Chiefs, the Bengals, and the Bills for that to, for that conference.
2: Man, you love the guys with the small hands there, my friend. Jared Goff, small hands, K Pickett, small hands. It's just the small hands, guys. Uh, <laughs> when, uh when you look at a Super Bowl matchup. All right, so we'll get into this. We'll jump to this conclusion right now. When it comes to a Super Bowl matchup in the upcoming season, Bill Calarulo, who are you looking at?
3: See, I'd love to be able to just say something crazy for the clickbait and all that. It's not going to be crazy. We're getting a rematch. It's going to be Kansas oh! City and Philadelphia. I'm, I'm right there with you. I mean, yeah, I, that's I, it's it's the obvious choice, but you look at these teams and it would be, first of all, the storyline would be great. Mm-hmm. To have a, another matchup between these two quarterbacks. Andy Reid again going against Philadelphia. But, you know, there is one team we're talking about former Philadelphia Eagles coaches with Andy Reid. The one team I didn't mention to keep an eye on is the Jacksonville Jaguars. And when we get to our coach of the year predictions, I could see Dougie P winning coach of the year this year down there in Jacksonville. He's got a very good quarterback. Trevor Lawrence's rookie season was wasted with the coach. So you saw what he did last year. They got Calvin Ridley coming back from his suspension. So watch out for the Jacksonville Jaguars and Dougie Mm -hmm. Big.
2: I'm I'm with you as far as watching out for him, but as far as winning the AFC, I'm with you. I definitely think it's going to be an Eagles-Chiefs matchup again. It's going to be a rematch. And this time I got the Eagles coming out on top. But uh, you mentioned the head coach. All right, coach of the year. This is astonishing. This is, Bill, astonishing to me. Go back to NFL.com. Coach of the year. The favorite for coach of the year. A man who just got Aaron Rodgers to quarterback his team. Robert Sala, Sala is the leading candidate on NFL.com to be coach of the year. After that, it's your boy, Mike Tomlin. It's your other boy. It's uh, Dan Campbell, Matt LaFleur, and then it's Doug Peterson, Mike McDaniel, Arthur Smith, Brandon Staley, Matt Eberflus, Sean Payton, Ron Rivera, D'Amico Ryans, Kyle Shanahan, Zach Taylor. No mention of Nick Sirianni. None whatsoever.
3: I think that is. I don't think that Nick Sirianni... Can win coach of the year, just like Andy Reid probably can't win coach of the year. Not putting them on the same level. What okay. I'm saying is when you look at their teams, the fact that they went to a Super Bowl last year, you expect those teams to be good this season. So the teams who usually head whose head coaches win coach of the year are a team that outperformed the season before, or they lost a lot of players and they played better than anyone expected them to play. So that's why I think you don't you don't see Andy Reid in this list you don't see Nick Sirianni on this list now Rob Sala if he wants coach of the year it would be outrageous it would be outrageous you bring in all these players Aaron Rodgers and they bring in all these players in the offseason I don't think Sala should win coach of the year I do like some of these other guys on the list I talked about Mike Tomlin I talked about Dan Campbell but I do think it is going to be Doug Peterson and how about Doug Peterson this shows how ruthless the NFL is Cut his own son. Cut his own son when final cuts had to happen.
2: How how, how did that conversation – I would like to have been a fly on the wall. I'd like to see how that conversation went. And and I don't know if this is a a usual thing, but I'm used to the, you know, the dramatic coach wants to see you bring your playbook. Like the Eagles told Eli Ricks he made the team with a phone call. You know what I mean? Like where's the conversations man-to-man face-to-face about being cut I, don't, I hope you're not texting anyone telling them, yeah, don't bother coming in today. Don't, I don't just, you know, you know drop the playbook off whenever you got an opportunity. Like, that's just insane to me. But no, but I did see that story about Doug Peterson cutting his own son. And then I saw all the pictures of like Doug Peterson standing next to his son in college and smiling faces and all that. And I'm like, damn, I know it's a business, but that's your little boy, man.
3: That's yeah, some rough that. right there. They, they did bring him back to the practice squad, but uh, it's still. It just goes to show, yeah, it's NFL, man. It's not show friend, it's show
2: business. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, Speaking of practice squad, real quick, I want to check in on the chat in a second, but uh, the Eagles did release their practice schedule or practice squad, of course. uh, Four wide receivers on that list, a little surprising there. Um, No quarterback because obviously they can carry three. And then the other thing that you look at there, there was one name in particular that I thought was surprising, but I was happy to see. Anyone jump out to you? about that practice squad roster being released. Now, the only two that I knew
3: that they were going to bring back was Britton Covey and Aaron Sippus. And in fact, I did a tweet as soon as they released them and people were killing me under it saying, they're not bringing Aaron Sippus back to the practice squad. You knew they were going to because they don't have a punter on their damn roster. And remember the way the CBA works, you are allowed to bring up two players a week on game day for a total of three times for each player. They did it last year with Britton Covey. Britton Covey got waived last season. They signed him on August 30th last year to the practice squad, and they brought him up week one, week two, and week three before having to make a decision about actually bringing him on as a full-time punt returner. I think you're going to see the same thing this year with Britton Covey and probably Aaron Sippus if they can't find anybody better. But the one guy that I was really happy to see get on the practice squad was Ben Van Sumeren, because he's got a lot of talent. You saw it in these preseason games. He's just raw. But his athletic ability, I won't be surprised if you see Van Sumeren called up sooner rather than later to help out with that special teams unit. I think he would be a great special teams player.
2: Uh, look, I had my doubts about him at the start of the preseason and the start of training camp because I kept hearing that raw that word, raw, surrounding Ben Van Sumeren, and I'm like, okay, that's, that's great. You're talking about a guy that was a fullback running back when he was in Michigan, made the transfer to Michigan State, became a full-time linebacker, and he had that raw talent, had a great pro day, and everyone was hyping him up to be this you know, great thing. I got to say, I saw it. I saw the potential. He was out there a lot in the preseason. They were sending him on blitzes in the preseason. He was batting uh, footballs down, breaking up passes, making good hits. coverage, uh, Covering well is uh, also when he had to drop back in coverage. So I saw the raw talent that a lot of other people were talking about. So that was a good thing. But my guy, if I had to root for a guy to make the practice squad, it's the tight end Brady Russell. And I know they just acquired a tight end, making a trade with Denver to bring in Big O, right? ringing you say up. his name yet <laughs> hold on hold on i think i wrote it phonetically the other day i want to make sure because it's like obamanom bah, bah, da, bah. obamanom um uh, whatever it is but uh yeah big o is what i got can you say it i wrote it out phonetically as well i think it's oku Ibunam. oku Ibunam
3: is i think his name
2: it's either oku or Okwe, one or the other but uh either way uh brady russell i don't think we're gonna see a lot of but he can also play special teams which is why big reason as to why he's on the practice squad had a touchdown in the preseason had a big catch in the preseason got it from um uh tanner mckee made a couple of good blocks upfield in the preseason one i think was on the trey sermon run the other the big run the other was um forget the other one but uh he just overall was a guy that is a tight end on this team jumped out to me during the preseason and I was hoping that the preseason would earn him a spot on the practice squad and I think it absolutely has mostly for what he has done on specialty actually you know what it was it was the um it was the return it was the kick return he was out blocking in front making some big blocks downfield or upfield so that to me uh might have solidified his spot on the practice squad but I was happy to see that name out there um Julian Good Jones is another one I know some people were pulling for Kyron Johnson's another one Um, and, uh, Makai Gardner is a cornerback. Some people were pulling for as well. Um, folks, it has been a blast. I, I, let me get one more. Let me get a couple, uh, in here real quick. bien people look forward to him. Kenny Pickett is better than Brock Purdy. Okay. There you go. Um, Micah Tomasetti, Kenny Pickett. Yep. There you go. Joe. Oh, dank Kelly green burrito had some positive things. Fans don't matter. The players are. We're whining i don't know what's about was i hyping up i don't think i was hyping up kenny pickett
3: no i think i did i hyped him up send the heat my way
2: oh there you go um ben waiting you seem to be a fan of the show thanks buddy he wants us to go <laughs> play uno because apparently we're 100 years old uh i'm gonna be going to the eagles press conference you get ready for a fun-filled weekend i hope Yeah, hopefully,
3: hopefully I got the, my kids, my kids were in Greece for two weeks, so they came home last night. So I missed them. I was really excited. I saw them this morning and now I'm going to see them again and spend the whole weekend, man. I, I, they have a great time when they're in Greece, but I miss the hell out of them.
2: Uh, I'm I'm sure, man. I'm sure. Bill, uh, as always, man, fun to fill in with you. Fun to do a show with you as per usual to everyone in the chat. Thank you for being part of the show. Uh, Tone, uh, my man, Tone DeShields, doing a phenomenal job producing the show. Uh, I, I think – is Dan. do we know if Dan's back tomorrow? Dan Cilio, have we gotten word on that yet? He is back tomorrow. So there you go. Thanks for being a part of the show, everyone, in the chat there. Bill, a pleasure as always, my friend.
3: Yeah, looking forward to it. And you mentioned it earlier, guys, but me and Farz are going to be co-hosting the halftime show when the season starts. So really looking forward to that, man.
2: Yeah, more Eagles coverage, of course, when the season gets underway. Dan Silly will be back with you guys hosting the national football show uh tomorrow. Uh until then, have a great rest of your day, everybody. Tone, great job as always. My name's Mark Farzetto. That's Bill Collarulo. Have a great rest of your day, everybody. See ya.